Hello world, I'm Jared Cunningham. This is the Freelance Forum 2023 podcast series. Over the years, the Freelance Forum has been made possible by support from the National Union of Journalists and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. You can download the Freelance Forum podcast from Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast and all good podcatcher apps and on SoundCloud. Now, in previous years, the podcasts have clustered around the autumn and spring live events, which we hold every year. But this year, we're trying something different with a monthly podcast instead. However, it did take us a little while to get organized at the start of this year. And as a result, our first podcast, as you can hear, is happening in February. But to make up for that, we're actually going to have two interviews. So I hope you find it enjoyable. This is episode number 53 of the Freelance Forum podcast. This is episode 53 of the Freelance Forum. And in our first interview of 2023, I spoke to Zlatina Sidorova about the investigative journalism for the EU project and how it funds freelance-led projects. IJ4EU stands for Investigative Journalism for Europe Fund. This is the name of the entire program. Uh, first of all, thank you very much. Um, so the Freelancer Support Scheme is one of the two grant schemes that are available within the IJ4EU Fund or the Investigative Journalism for Europe Fund, Fund which is in its fourth year. Uh, basically, the program has two main grants. One is the investigative uh, investigation support scheme, which mainly supports cross-border investigations carried out by news organizations or collaborations involving a news organization. And the second grant, the freelancer support scheme, is the grant scheme that supports cross-border collaborative investigative projects that are carried out by teams of freelance journalists. So it's... Uh, it's the grand scheme, it's the space that is dedicated to freelance-only collaborations. And in addition to the grant funding, which is at the amount of up to 20,000 euros, we also offer an additional layer of support in the form of uh, mentorship and training opportunities, which are available for our grantees during the, pro the project implementation period. How do those mentoring uh, programs work? Is that something that's done, uh, we're talking here online, obviously using a Zoom call. Is that how it works or do people uh, travel to uh, a, a conference together or what happens? Uh, well, it is up to every team to decide how they are going to organize their collaborations. Uh, actually, this is the second year that we're implementing the freelancer support scheme. So we already were able to support 15 investigations in the previous edition of the program. In the current round of the program, we already have six teams that have been awarded grants. And now the last for this year open call for, for proposals was announced and it is open until the 23rd of February. There are different uh, cases. There are cases where we have long-standing collaborations among journalists who know each other very well and uh, they meet regularly in person. They travel on the field together. Uh, we also have other cases where uh, journalists meet at a conference or a dedicated event 
uh, they identify a common topic of interest and they decide to collaborate and to submit a proposal together. And we actually have uh, teams that have uh, never that had never seen each other before they received the grant. So they found each other online, decided to collaborate. Their proposal was awarded, and now they are uh, working together, each on their own part of of the task or the investigation. So it's really up to the team to decide, like how they're going to tackle their topic and how they will organize their work. I should say, I just noticed there in the background, uh, there's some slight uh, humming noises, which people listening will hear. Uh, that's because you're having uh, some uh, some work builders are working next door at the moment. Uh, it's uh, it's not too distracting, so I think we'll just continue on. Uh, I'm able to hear you quite clearly, and so will everyone else. I appreciate that, and so do my neighbours. Okay. <laughs> there has to be a cross-border element. That's uh, one of the things that you said, obviously, um, and that's between two EU member states. Um, in Ireland, we're in the slightly unusual position where our that we used to have a border with an EU member state because Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK, was part of the EU. It's now not part of the EU, but it sort of is sometimes because of the Northern Ireland Protocol. Would a cross-border collaboration between Northern and Southern Ireland, uh, between the Republic and, and, and someone in Belfast, would, would that qualify or would it have to be someone who's in France or Bulgaria or, or some other EU state? Well, unfortunately, it, this turns out to be the trickiest uh, element in, in our program. And this is something that we're bound to, to comply with because it is a program that is co-funded by the European Union. You're right. This is how it works. So there must be a collaboration with, between at least two journalists and they need to be based either in two different EU member states or at least one European member state and one official European candidate country. Um, the UK is unfortunately no longer considered as an EU uh, member state. Uh, so yes, a journalist based in Ireland should team up with uh, at least one team member based in France or Belgium or Bulgaria or Northern Macedonia or Albania or Ukraine, uh, which has also been granted the status of an EU candidate country. And if I wanted to apply, how do I apply? Uh, I assume that there's a website and there's a forms that, to be filled in and so forth. What's the first step that I take? The first step is to visit the program website, which is ij4eu.net. And there you can find detailed descriptions of the two available grant schemes, the investigation support scheme and the freelancer support scheme. And yes, our uh, team's strong recommendation is uh, that interested applicants should always uh, first carefully read the eligibility, the publication uh, uh, criteria. Uh, here, I would like to add that the same eligibility criteria, geographically speaking, the same applies for the publication requirements. So this is somewhere that also the cross-border element comes into play. So the investigation or the outcome, it needs to be published in the end in at least two EU member states or one EU member state and one EU candidate country. Um, and uh, there on the program website, 
website. You can also find the link to our very secure grant application uh, platform, which is called Good Grants. Uh, we do take uh, privacy and protection of data very seriously. So the application form is uh, to be found there. Everything is online. Uh, you can have a look at uh, the application. You can also download the question first so that you can familiarize yourself with the process, prepare a little bit in advance. But you can also like um, start filling it in, save, continue later. Just make sure that your application has been submitted uh, within the submission deadline, which again, I will mention that is uh, 23rd of February, but that is basically how it works. And I dare say that it's quite a user-friendly process. And uh, if I get my application in by the 23rd of February, uh, how, how long would it be then before I find out if I've been successful? Um, according to our plans and how we usually proceed, um, we... This is uh, an important place to say that our proposals are evaluated by an external independent jury. So none of the team members or the members of the consortium running the pro program are involved in the process. So our jury will uh, meet online. They will first evaluate the, the proposals uh, independently. Then they meet online and they come up with a decision in the second half of March. And afterwards, we contact both the successful and the unsuccessful applicants. So within a month after the submission of your application, you would find out what the outcome is. And then uh, I have about six months in order to complete the project. So we'll probably be looking at sometime like October or thereabouts. Do you have any restrictions or requirements in terms of uh, does it have to be something for print media or television? Uh, would... would uh formatting uh, for radio uh, work. Uh, are there any requirements or anything that's excluded in, in, in that? For once, and I'm extremely happy to say that here no restrictions apply. So there is no limitation when it comes to the format of the investigation of the projects, whether it will be print, digital, radio, TV, a documentary. Uh, everything is eligible. Also, uh, any topic is eligible. So we don't give any particular preference to a certain topic. So this is where the teams are absolutely free to, to decide on what they're going to work on and how they're going to, to go about it. Could you give me some examples of... Uh successful projects in the part in the past the kind of things that that uh, people have worked on are there any that come to mind as particularly useful it would be very difficult because every single project that uh, we have supported that on not only uh, via the freelancer support scheme but also through the other grant investigation support scheme everyone has been successful and made quite a splash uh, and to, that's why we have a dedicated uh, project section on the program website, where um, I also encourage interested applicants to have a look and to actually see the diversity and the types of initiatives and investigations that we have supported. There have been a lot of investigations uh, on corruption, on uh, protection of personal data, um, on the misdeeds by uh, European border control institutions, for example. So um, there have been investigations on um, the, the phenomenon of the so-called revenge porn. Uh, so really, uh, it's a very, very wide range of uh, topics, uh, very um, wide diversity of projects. And uh, we are really proud to have supported every one of them. Great. Okay, and uh, I will uh, post when I uh, put this up on the uh, 
on the podcast. I'll put uh, the links to your site and so forth there so uh, people who want more information can uh, follow up there with you. Lucina, uh, thank you very much for talking to me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much as well. If you need any more additional information or links or reference, let me know. Uh, we were actually lucky that my neighbors paused for a bit, so I'm happy that we didn't have to reschedule. Thank you very much for your time, and I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. I'm joined now by uh, Anya O'Mara from uh, Headline.ie, uh, who is going to talk about uh, mental health in the newsroom and a series of workshops on that topic that they're organizing. Welcome along, Anya. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is the... This is the, the the last set of workshops that we'll be running on this particular topic. We started it in 2020, actually. It was originally pitched as a an awareness-raising exercise within newsrooms, and we were originally going to do it via a, a poster campaign, but then obviously once, it was 20, sorry, 2019, once everyone um, relocated to their home offices and, and newsrooms essentially shut down where well a lot of them did I know some obviously kept going um you know a, a poster campaign really wouldn't have done a whole lot to raise any kind of awareness uh so yeah we we moved um, the workshop and the whole idea of talking about mental health in the newsroom online uh, can you give me an idea of just what's involved in the uh, workshops uh, what type of uh, things that you cover yeah sure uh well it's funny actually when we first when we first ran it it was called something else we called it uh, we called it by some of the topics that we we discuss in the workshop like vicarious trauma and burnout and compassion fatigue and these very kind of you know strong strong words and phrases and um i was some of the feedback after that first workshop was you know my editor asked me to do this workshop and i felt like it was a criticism in that I couldn't handle my my job. You know, if he's asking me to do this workshop, that must be a reflection of of the job I'm doing. So we quickly learned that uh, journalists don't like <laughs> don't like to be targeted in that way. And it was again the 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 awareness raising is about some of the some of the impacts, the mental health impacts that the job can have can have on you. You know, I suppose journalists are taught to be very tough and you know don't let anything in and um it's sort of assumed that you know it's just water off a duck's back and the more difficult stories shouldn't impact you well the truth is that they do it's just that people handle that impact in very different ways so uh, when we're talking about this I'm often reminded of that scene in Monty Python with um the Black Knight and you know he gets the the arm cut off and it's oh tis but a scratch and it's you know, it's funny, like people's notion of of what it is to be resilient. I think that's changed somewhat because before it was seen as again this this toughness, this this ability to carry on regardless. That's not the case. Resilience resilience is about how quick you can recover from something difficult. But in order to recover from something di- difficult, you have to acknowledge that it happened in the first place. That's why I think of the the Black Knight. Just to say as well that there, you know, when we when we first started pitching this this idea of these workshops, there was quite an, an amount of resistance. Um, we separated it out into a, a managers only workshop, so anyone with responsibility for a newsroom or for a team, um, 
And then we also had more, again, more frontline, whether they're correspondents or or reporters or whatever. And we opened it, camera operators, editors, whoever. Um, and we got such resistance just to say that, you know, but this isn't this isn't an issue for us. So I don't think this is needed. Or again, I think it, it was probably around how we were framing the workshop, how we were, what we were calling it. But this this notion of, you know, a, a journalist needing help. We haven't had anyone. Is that right to say? Yeah, we haven't had anyone from print, specifically print journalists in our workshops. The vast, vast majority have come from broadcasting and the rest have come from online. So I don't know if that if that's an indicator of different mentalities within different sections or, or different platforms. Um, I don't know. I know that when I approached editors about it before, there has been a certain amount of skepticism and that's the editors. But then when you speak to people individually, the ones who are actually out there doing the work, there's such a frustration among them that there's not an acknowledgement of the work that they're doing, of whatever about the sacrifices they're making, but the impact that it's having on them. You know, there was a case in Australia a couple of years ago where a journalist, um, her regular beat, I think, was family court. Now, I, I might have the details of this mixed up, but I think her regular beat was family court. And that was fine when she was a younger journalist coming through, but when she had a family of her own, she had requested to to move beats, essentially change her whatever her her area was, and uh, she stated that it was having a, a direct impact on her mental health. So her managers at the time moved her to just a different kind of court. So still very much witnessing other people's distress but having no real tools essentially to handle that. Now, my background is journalism as well. So I know how that feels to be covering a story and and be good at it, but not having the tools, I suppose, to, to be able to leave it down at the end of the day and not bring it home with you. Um, so I think there is a responsibility among employers as well, whether it's whether you're a newsroom manager who has a full staff or whether you work very frequently with freelancers to acknowledge the fact that some of these stories are going to affect your staff in very different ways, depending on their circum personal circumstances. Um, so it, it's funny that when we, we talk to people, when they first attend the workshops, you know, there is this sort of, oh, look, we'll, we'll see how it goes, you know, a kind of a, an eye roll. And then by the end of it, it's, it's nearly been this transformative experience where they thought, "Jesus, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know, but I'm glad I know, and I'm glad I have the tools. So now I can, yeah, it's a hard job. I don't ever want to leave it, but I know that I can stay in it longer and be healthier while I'm in it. And that's the point of it: to be able to function well, manage your own mental health. Maybe if you're working on other mental health stories, to be to again not have that compassion fatigue that is very common among journalists um yeah so it's it's an interesting workshop and and interesting things come from it so a lot of this workshop is about raising awareness about the difficulties of the job and about the difficult subject matter 
this idea of um, being a witness to other people's distress and how that can have an impact on journalists and not just journalists, but the camera operators, but the editors, people working on picture desk, whether they're reviewing content from the latest bomb blast somewhere or or maybe it's somebody who whose regular beat is the family court or maybe it's somebody who's attached to a case that seems to be going on and on or maybe it's it's any journalist who's just felt the impact of the last three years and the relentless nature of the news cycle. Um, you have to keep in mind as well that newsrooms have been hammered in terms of resources. So there's more and more expected of journalists now in terms of their their output or their their deliverables, if you're looking at it in economic terms. Um, so this workshop really, first and foremost, it's an awareness raising exercise. But secondly, and I think this this speaks to the fact that journalists by their nature are very pragmatic, very sort of solution orientated and said, OK, well, that's the problem now. How do we fix it? You know, OK, we, we, we've discussed that now. Move on. Let's try and address it. And uh, there's a heavy emphasis on this workshop about those tools that you can use to help you become more, more resilient in the work. And it's essentially to help people stay in the job that they love longer. I know for freelancers, um, even before COVID and, and lockdowns and so on, a lot of it was uh, quite isolated. You tended to work alone rather than in a newsroom with other people. Yeah, absolutely. And that came across very much in those workshops. The isolation felt by journalists was something else. Especially freelancers, they're even more vulnerable. So uh, tell me, when are the uh, events taking place? And uh, if someone is interested, how do they register? Yeah, the, the um, first workshop is starting on March 16th. So um, the workshop is in two parts. You do a half day one week and a half day the following week. And the, the reason for that is that we didn't want it to be something that you just dip into or, or you know, you come, you get your information. Then as soon as you've, you've left a workshop, you, you forget it and that's it. This is really about putting putting those tools into practice. And we want journalists to practice that. Um, you know, we're very good at asking our contributors open-ended questions about how they are and trying to elicit as much information as possible. We don't necessarily practice those same skills when we're talking to our colleagues or other journalists that we come across in the field, you know, to say, well, how are you handling this? Or, or you know, let's go for a coffee and talk about it or whatever the case may be. But I think that the, the, that peer-to-peer -peer support is crucial and so crucial for, for freelancers. Whatever about being in a newsroom and feeling like you may have other journalists to lean on or more senior senior journalists um or even having editors or or maybe even the luxury of a hr department i know there are plenty of newsrooms around the country who don't have a hr department um with freelancers they don't have any of those supports they don't have employee assistance programs i know some newsrooms i think there are only two when we looked into it um offer out their employee assistance programs to the freelancers that are attached to them um but that is that is not the common that's that's not the usual way so when freelancers when freelancers might be more susceptible to it i suppose in you know all those fears around saying no to a job they are 
you know, you, you feel it at such a, a base level that you can't say no to a job. And part of the part of what we do in the workshop is about having those conversations to to tease those issues out to say, you know, it, it's not about, you know, it's not now. It's it's not that I'm not able for it. It's it's that maybe we do this in a different way or or whatever the case may be. So it's um yeah, so it's it's definitely applicable to to freelancers as well. I mean, if you think about the buddy system, even alone, just that sense of being able to pick up the phone and call somebody who you trust, who you know is not going to question whether you can do your next job, somebody who isn't in a position of authority over you, um, doesn't have any sort of associations whether you get your next paycheck or not, um, somebody that you can have a talk to to essentially offload. Um, so many journalists won't want to do that with their families because one, I think anyone working outside the industry just doesn't get it. You know, they they don't get the nature of the work. They don't get the nature of the pressures associated with it. I think maybe other other frontline workers do because of the relentless nature of it. Um, and I think that's something that probably wasn't acknowledged during COVID as well, is that journalists, a lot of journalists were also frontline workers, not in the sense that they were in A&E, but in the sense that they had to cut themselves off from from members of their family because they still had to go out and report the news. They still, you know, you had, it certainly came up in the workshops when when there was an amount of sharing around the impacts of working through COVID and, and that isolation was that, you know, I had I had a mother who was in a, a nursing home and yes, I was reporting on, a, on another nursing home, but all I saw was my mother, you know, and, and it's, I suppose it's, it's the acknowledgement that journalists are humans as well, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a terrible thing really, but the media gets such bashing. I suppose journalists are, are lumped into that as well. And it's the, it's the humanizing of us as well in the workshop. So not to make it sound uh, airy fairy or fluffy or anything, it is a very hands-on pragmatic course. It can be difficult as well for people if they have been bottling things up for a long time I think even just hearing that other people are struggling sometimes can be that pin you know just to let a little bit of bit of air out a bit of pressure out so as I say the first one is 16th of March and then the second session of that workshop is the following week on the 23rd and then the next workshop that people can sign up for is April 25th and the second part of that workshop is May 2nd. So you can sign up for that on headline.ie. Um, we do say that you have to be a working journalist uh, based in Ireland. Um, because I know that there has been interest from other professions that maybe would be exposed to the very same thing. Again, they are witness to other people's distress, but uh they wouldn't have the same supports. But I think as I was saying to you before, Jared, I I feel quite strongly that this is something that needs to be offered two newsrooms and and two journalists especially freelancers okay and uh there's no charge as you uh, uh, as you say but people do have to be working journalists they do they do yeah so as i say yes it there's no charge that that doesn't mean that it's it's it, there's no cost for us to run it so i would say that if you're signing up for it do commit to it because you're taking somebody else's place then we are fully funded by the national office for suicide prevention and they believed in this workshop enough to fund it. Um, that was in 
2020 and we have just we're just coming to the end of that of that funding now so as i say we've two we have two remaining free workshops left and and places on those workshops are limited and i will get out a um, an email to everyone it may already be in your inboxes if you haven't received it about this uh, program uh, if you're a member of the Dublin freelance branch uh, check your spam folders i suppose <laughs> and if you're not a member of the Dublin Freelance Branch and you are a freelance journalist, why haven't you joined? Drop us a line about that and we'll send you a membership form. <laughs> Anya, I think that's that. Thank you very much for your time and I look forward to hearing more about how everything goes. Great. Thanks, Jared. This has been a Freelance Forum podcast. The forum is brought to you by the Dublin Freelance Branch of the National Union of Journalists and made possible by network funding from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Sector Learning and Development Programme. Music from podsummit.com released under a Creative Commons Zero license into the public domain. I'm Jared Cunningham. Thanks for listening. Take care and stay safe. <music>